Bate Marley, um, and I am on staff here with Chi Alpha, um, and I'm excited to, to bring the word to you tonight. We're going through a series in Romans this quarter, um, which is a solid book. Um, it's Paul sending a letter to the church in Romans, um, and it's got a lot of really cool theological and um, gospel fundamentals, uh, but it's also a really cool story, um, just of a God who really loves us um, as humanity um, and, and his story of bringing us into right relationship with him again, his like rescue story of humanity. Um, so that's like the picture that, that Paul paints for us, um, that he shares all this gospel theology for us. Um, so it's, it's a really cool book, um, and I'm excited to get into it. Um, but first, I'm going to pray for us. Lord, thank you for this evening. Thanks for everyone that's here. Um, seeing some some new faces, so I'm excited to see them here, Lord. Um, and I, I pray that you'd just be here with us, be here with me. Would you be speaking clearly through me? Um, and Lord, would you be opening our ears to hear what you have to say to us? Lord, would you open our hearts? Would we be receptive to what you're speaking to us tonight? I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> So last week, Michael talked about um, the love, hope, and help of God. Um, And he mentioned that a fundamental obstacle... Oh yeah, you guys can pass out Bibles, thanks. Um, If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you didn't bring one, um, if you need one to keep, you can go ahead and keep it. Um, But if you just need one to flip through tonight, go ahead and raise your hand and they'll bring it to you. Um, So yeah, Michael talked about the love, hope, and help of God last week, going through Romans chapter 1. Um, and he mentioned that a, a fundamental obstacle that keeps us from keeps us as humanity from that love and help um, is that we think we know better than God, right? We have our own ideas about how things are and how they should be, um, and we tend to do things the way we want to do them. But Paul in Romans is saying that we are gravely mistaken. Um, that the truth is we have rejected God's ideal way for us to live. Um, And on our own, we have become enslaved to attitudes and actions that lead to our own destruction. Um, And it's because God loves us that he calls to our attention the ways that we are rejecting him and walking in a way that is our own way. Um, Because our way leads to darkness and death, um, where his way leads to hope and life and love. Um, Michael gave us a a really cool image um, that... Um, I think is helpful as we read through Romans. And I, and I hope that we keep coming to that image as we're reading through. Um, and, and that image is, is that Paul is calling attention to the fact that we're drowning um, and that we're in need of a Savior. We're in need of a lifeguard, as he said. Um, and so um, I want us to keep, keep that in our minds as we're going through tonight. Um, and it's from this understanding, this image, Um, that Paul wants his readers to understand the message of the gospel. Um, So in Romans 1, Paul directs his attention to the Gentiles, specifically in Romans, um, and their wrong ideas about God and and how to get right with him. Um, They were rejecting God entirely and finding other things to trust in. And so they were living wicked and perverse lives um, that hurt themselves and, and hurt the people around them. 
He gives a list of some specific ways that the Gentiles were living in opp- opposition to God um, in verses 29 and 30 in the first chapter of Romans. And, and you can check that out sometime tonight. Um, but we're going to look in chapter 2. Um, and, and here in chapter 2, Paul directs his attention to the Jews. Um, and he calls out their wrong way of thinking and acting. Um, and as Michael mentioned last week, the Jews and the Gentiles didn't get along too well. Um, the Jews were considered God's chosen people. And the thing that they thought set them apart was the scriptural laws. Um, and so they let God's chosen people, this title that they had, they kind of let it get to their heads. Um, and they judged the Gentiles, who were the non-Jews, um, they, let, they judged the Gentiles for not following these Jewish laws. Um, and most specifically, uh, the law of being circumcised. That was one that they kind of pointed out a lot um, and kind of focused on a lot, which was it's just kind of weird in our culture right now. We're like, ah, why focus on that one? Um, but they looked down on the Gentiles and treated them pretty terribly. Um, in comparison to themselves, they considered the Gentiles terrible sinners. Um, And the Jews had become this hyper-religious group stuck in their old ways of thinking. They thought that because they had the law, that they were good to go. If they followed certain religious requirements, that they could earn God's favor. Um, And and unfortunately, I think that a lot of us today, um, and even Christians, fall into this way of thinking too. um, Which is kind of hard to admit, though. Um, But have you ever thought about sin on sort of a sliding scale, where um, we're taught, of course, that all sin is equal. Um, But do you actually believe that or act that way? Um, Have you ever caught yourself thinking something like, yeah, I know I sin, but there are a lot worse sinners out there, right? There's a lot worse people than me. Um, Or maybe... Specifically, like, yeah, I know, I look at porn, but at least I'm not a murderer or a child molester. Um, Or, yeah, I know I gossip about people, but at least I I didn't commit genocide or lead the Aryan nation to kill a lot of Jews. Or, I'm not Hitler, right? That's like the biggest one that we use. I'm, I'm not Hitler. I'm not as bad as Hitler. We do that, right? Um, I, I think I catch myself thinking that way often. Um, and because it makes us feel better about ourselves, right? Um, but Paul is saying that this is a devastatingly wrong way to, to be thinking about it. And in this second chapter of Romans, he's calling out the Jews um, because they're thinking this way. Um, and so let's hear what he has to say, starting in Romans chapter 2, chapter two verses 1 through 4. Um, So you guys can turn there. Romans chapter 2. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, and yet you do the same things, Do you think you will escape God's judgment? 
Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? So we see right away that Paul calls out the Jews who were judging the Gentiles around them, even though they were doing the same things. Um, and if we look back at the image that Michael gave us last week of um, if, if uh, the Gentiles as, as sinners were in need of, of this Savior, they needed this lifeguard to tell them, hey, you're drowning, I need to come rescue you. Um, if we think about that, I thought of the J- Jews in Rome, these Jewish people as um, in boats, looking out at these Gentiles drowning in the water. Um, and they're in these boats, and they're like, oh, no, they're drowning. But we're in this, these boats. We're all right. Um, but then the lifeguards got to point out to them, oh, wait, but you have a lot of holes in your boat. So you're in your boats, but you're sinking too. You, you're also drowning. You need, you need to be rescued too. Um, and, and that was a really helpful image for me, thinking about this, that, that Paul's calling them out because they're judging these other people, but they're still sinning as well. Um, he says, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. So the therefore, um, in this, at the beginning of this, this chapter, um, ties us back to chapter 1, right? Um, so when he says, you do the same things, we can look back to that list of wicked things that the Gentiles were doing in verse 29 through 32. Um, and the Jews who were judging these Gentiles and considering them unworthy because they didn't have the law to follow. Um, but the Jews were also sinning in these same ways. Um, and so Paul is saying, um, yeah, that, that you are also drowning. You're in these boats, but your whole, boats have holes in them. So you need a rescuer as well. Um, and so let's, let's read on in chapter 2, verse 5, starting in verse 5. It says, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law and who will be declared righteous. So Paul's message specifically to the Jews is, God does not show favoritism. Just because you do these religious things and consider yourself the people of God, you will not be judged more leniently. In fact, they may be even more worthy of the judgment because they know the will of God and the law of the Lord, yet they still reject it, yet they still don't do what it says. Um, But Paul's message to all the Romans here and and to all of us who follow Jesus and um, are hearing about Jesus, that none of you are without fault, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, 
Whether we try and live out an, a moral life or we try and do certain religious things, none of it is good enough to make us right with God. So what does that mean for us? Here's where a couple unpleasant words come in um, that we don't really like to hear. Judgment and wrath, right? You hear those words and ugh, cringe, right? I always think, whenever I hear those words, I think of those um, sidewalk preachers that, that kind of preach fire and brimstone and you're all going to hell, you're all sinners, right? That's what I think of. And I, ugh, it just makes me cringe, right? Um, but my hope is that the Lord would help us to see that these two things, these two words, um, that he would help us to see them with a more accurate perspective and so see the blessing and importance they have to the hope and life that we have in the gospel of Jesus. So that we would see the blessing and importance they have to the hope and life that we have in the gospel of Jesus. So we read in this chapter that we will have to answer to God's judgment. Um, that's the big theme I get out of, out of this, um, that we will have to answer to God's judgment. Um, and I think there's a difference between our judgments of one another um, and God's judgments. <clears throat> so I want to I look with you right now at those differences. So the, the first difference between our judgments and God's judgments um, is that God's judgment is based on truth. In verse 2, it says that now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So God sees truth um, of what is truly going on. It isn't based on, his judgment isn't based on biases or hatred or misinformation or oppression of power. Unlike our human worldly systems of judgment, um, like the Jews' judgment of the Gentiles, right? Or even our judicial systems. I read an article that 10,000 people are wrongly convicted in the U.S. each year. Um, and so that's people who are, were convicted of crimes but were innocent. Um, and now think of all the people who committed crimes but were never even convicted. Think of how, all the injustice that there is based on... Um, untruth, because people don't know the truth or um, are, can't see the truth because of biases in their own mind or um, all kinds of stuff, right? But God judges based on truth. What really is going on, he sees all sides of it, um, and he judges based on that. Um, The second thing that is different from our our judgment and God's judgment is that God's judgment is righteous and just. God is worthy of being the judge. God is truly good and loving and perfect in his love. So when we say that he is worthy of being the judge, we mean that he is the only one who can rightfully sit on the throne and dole out judgment without having done anything wicked or unloving himself. He is just in his judgment because every evil and wicked thing is in need of recompense. 
If God is truly a good God, then that means he is utterly against everything that is wicked and evil and that it can have no part in him. So if, if he is utterly good and, and evil can't, he just can't have anything to do with that, right? And if he's the source of life, then anything outside of him is void of life. So anything that is wicked or evil is deserving of death. That's what we learn. And we see that in Romans 6.23. We see what it means when when it says, the wages of sin is death. Because anything outside of God, um, there isn't life there. If he's the source of life, anything outside of God, there isn't life there. Um, and and with, within this concept, I want to talk about the concept of wrath. Um, I think we often think of God's wrath um, in the way that we see human wrath and human anger. Um, but it's, it's not, um, God's wrath is not this emotionally charged fury um, in the heat of the moment kind of thing. It's not an uncontrollable anger um, where God just lashes out, right? Um, when I, when I think of, of wrath um, in, in the human sense, I think of a story um, when I was a kid, and I was kind of a butt, you guys. <laughs> I, was, I was just like, oh, I was such a butt as a kid. Um, and, and so, of course, I was just bugging my dad, being really disrespectful to him um, a lot of the day. Um, and I really wanted to, I don't even remember what it was I wanted to do. Um, but I really wanted to do this thing. So I kept bugging him about it. Um, he kept saying no. There's probably a really good reason. Um, but I kept bugging him. And um, I remember he was in the bathroom, and I was really mad that he wouldn't let me do this thing. And I asked one more time, and he said no. Um, and so when he turned his back, I flipped him the bird. <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm just so mad. I'm going to flip him off. And in my household, that was such a disrespectful thing to do. Like, I, I'd never seen any of my family members do that. I saw a kid at school do it one time, and he got in really big trouble. And so I, like, knew, I knew it was a bad thing. And so, and so I flipped him off behind his back. But he turned around right when I did it. Oh, I still, I can still feel the feeling of my stomach just flew. Oh no! Right? Oh, so bad. It was so bad, and I was so scared. I was so scared because I knew it was just such a disrespectful thing to do, and I knew he was going to be really mad because I've been kind of making him mad all day. Um, so I just ran out of the house. I ran, I ran right out of the window. And, and there was this big bush on the side of our house that I was like, I had a little fort in it. Um, and I didn't think anybody knew about it. But of course they did. Yeah, so I ran directly to that fort in the bush. And I just hid there in the corner. And like two minutes later, my dad knew, of course, right where I went. But he just like, whew, yeah, walked right up to me, grabbed me by the ear and took me back in the house. And then I don't remember what happened after that. No, not like I blacked out or anything. <laughs> not like that. <laughs> Don't worry. But I probably deserved it. Um, no, I probably got spanked or something. 
and was probably fine later. But I just remember that feeling of, so I like, I have brought the wrath of my father onto myself. Oh my gosh. But <laughs> God's, God's wrath isn't like that. Um, and we see in, in the Bible, excuse me, in the Bible that, that his wrath isn't like that. Um, J.I. Packer summarizes God's wrath. Um, he says, God's wrath in the Bible is never capricious or self-indulgent or irritable or morally ennoble. Um, it's never a morally ennoble thing that human anger so often is. It is instead a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. That wrath, the wrath of God, is the right reaction to evil. As, as we said earlier, if God is truly a good God, then he can't stand the wickedness and evil that goes on in the world. Is there something that you, that, there's probably something that comes right to your mind um, when, when I ask you, like what, we, um, on our SBO trip, we asked this to um, our spring break outreach trip. We went up to Simon Fraser University with some students, and we asked this question, um, what, if you could change anything about the world, what would it be? Um, and a lot of people came with, with just social and, and moral injustices, um, like people being oppressed by people more powerful than, than them, um, human trafficking, um, having these huge gaps in um, wealth. So people that are super wealthy and then having people that are just starving because they don't have money. Um, everyone could think of something that's just wrong with the world, something where, where someone is doing something really evil and really wrong. Um, all of us can think of something like that, right? And we, we wouldn't have a good God. God wouldn't be good um, if he just let that slide, right? If, if he just thought that was okay and, uh, well, let's give him a slap on the wrist kind of thing, right? Every, every immoral action um, deserves the wrath of God. Michael also gave us this, this image. He talked about um, having a kid, and I, I can't relate to that yet, um, hopefully in a couple of years. But um, having a kid, there, there's nothing that you like, wouldn't do for your child, right? There's, there's nothing that, that you would do to keep them from harm or um, when you see them hurting or you see them being bullied or, or being harmed, you just, oh, gets you, right? You, you don't want to see that. Um, and that's how God feels about, about us when we, um, in, in the way our world is now, in the midst of evil and, and wrongdoing, he feels that about us. Like, man, my, my children, they're being hurt they're hurting each other. This isn't good. I'm, I'm angry about this. And it's right that he would be angry about the evil that's in the world. He's angry because he loves us. And, and he's angry that out of the evil of our hearts and our rejection of his ways, we're hurting ourselves and we're hurting each other. He, say, he hates to see his children hurting and headed toward death. Um, another way of putting it is God's wrath is his love in action against sin. 
I'll say that again. God's wrath is his love in action against sin. And, and his wrath is going to come on the day of judgment. Um, it's not out of nowhere, um, like a lot of human wrath and anger is, where it just, like, it's an emotional reaction and comes out of nowhere, right? Um, his wrath doesn't work that way. We know exactly when it's going to happen um, on, on the day of judgment. Um, so it's not unexpected. Um, and it's not, so we don't just do something, a little something that's wrong, and God's like, oh, my wrath on you, right? It's, that's not how it works. He's made it really clear that the consequences of rejecting him um, and continually living in this way of wickedness and evil, um, he's made it pretty clear of what's going to happen on, on the day of judgment. And, and that's, a, that's a right judgment. That's a right reaction to, to evil in the world. The third thing um, that, that's different between our, our judgment and God's judgment is, is that God's judgment is equal to his kindness and patience. God's judgment is equal to his kindness and patience. Verse 4 says, or um, 4 through 5, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. So God's wrath is only for those who don't repent. Um, and it's only who, for those who continue to reject God's way of thinking, um, reject God's way, thinking that they know better, and choose to live in their own wickedness. Um, but that's, God, that's not God's desire for his children. He loves us so much. That's not his desire for us. That's not what he wants for us. Verse 4 talks about God's kindness, forbearance, and patience. Um, the definition of forbearance is patient self-control, the action of refraining from exercising a legal right. So if we think about um, the righteousness of God's judgment, that, that he is just and worthy of, um, of judging evil in the world, judging wrongdoing, um, it is his kindness and forbearance and patience that keeps him from acting on that wrath, um, that keeps, keeps him um, to what he's promised of, no, it's going to happen on, on this day of judgment. Um, and he has, he has every right to, to act on his anger towards sin, but he is patient and kind to give, give us every chance to repent and turn to him. And that is why it says that the unrepentant store up wrath against themselves for the day of wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. So he's waiting. He's waiting for this day um, so that he's given us every chance to, to repent, every chance to, to say, okay, Lord, I, I get it. I need, I need your rescue. I, I need to live in, in the way that you have laid out, the ideal that you've made for us. Um, Second Peter 3, 3 through 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
in 1 Timothy 2.4 says a similar, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of, of the truth. So God's wrath against sin and disobedience is perfectly justified because his plan for mankind is holy and perfect, just as God himself is holy and perfect. But God provides a way for us to gain favor with him, to turn God's wrath away from us, and that is through repentance. We've heard that word a lot in, in these verses, right? So what, is, what does he mean by this repentance? Well, later on in Romans, Paul says that the only way to be justified for the wrongdoing that we have done is to put our faith in Jesus. To believe that he took on the wrath of God in our place and that if we follow him, we will have eternal life. And, um, let's see, where is that? Sorry. I'm going to read verse 5 through 13 again. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. So, um, this verse 7, when it says, To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. Um, I I had to read through that several times and and check out some commentaries, because it sounds like um, what he's saying is that if you do good things, um, then you'll receive eternal life, right? It kind of sounds like that. but I, as I read through through commentaries, um, this is a different way of the, as it says, do, persistence in doing good. Um, it talks about um, not the law, doing the works of the law, as as the the Jews thought that that's the Jews thought that's how I get right with God is I do these things, I do these laws, um, I fulfill these laws, right? Do these re- religious things. Um, and then I'm right with God. Um, but it talks about um, persistence in doing good um, as obedience um, in faith in Jesus. That as, as we put our faith in Jesus, we gain an obedience um, that's out of um, persistent love. So as we, as we come to faith in Jesus, as we say, okay, Jesus, I'm, I'm going to let you be my lifeguard. I'm going to... Um, Turn from, from my ways of doing things, the, the things that I think are right, or the morality that, that I see, um, or the things that I want to do, right? And, and I align my life with you and, and what you are calling me to, um, and I believe that, that you have rescued me, um, and that you do um, give me access to right relationship with Jesus. Um, as we do that, we we grow this appreciate, appreciation and this love for God and for Jesus that just draws us to obedience. Um, and, and as we um, abide in him, as we um, grow in relationship with him, that love grows and that obedience grows. Um, and, and that's the, 
Um, that's the persistence in doing good that it's talking about in this verse. Um, I wanted to share that because I, I struggled with that as I was reading it. Um, and so, what does repentance mean for you guys? Um, so for the Jews in Rome, this repentance um, meant getting over themselves, right? Realizing that they were counted as saved. They weren't counted as saved just because they did religious things of the law, but that they must follow and obey Jesus as their Lord. For the Gentiles, this meant trusting and accepting God's way for them, letting God say what was wrong and right for their life, and trusting him to change the patterns that were in their lives. What, what, is, what does it mean for you? It's, it's really important that we see... Um, the need that we have for Jesus as our rescuer. This is Paul, Paul's whole um, goal in these, these verses, in these chapters in Romans, is for us to understand that we're drowning. We, we're in, in the water. We can't swim. Or we're in the boat with holes in it, and we can't swim. And we need this rescuer. Um, so do you, do you believe that? Do you believe that you need a rescuer? Do you believe that, that the life that you're living um, doesn't get you in right relationship with God? That anything that you can do can't get you in right relationship with God? Um, or do you see, maybe you see your sin as not as bad as others. Um, you see sin on that sliding scale that we were talking about earlier. What does, what does this repentance mean for you? I'm going to have the worship team come up. Um, and I want you guys to be thinking, thinking through that. Um, and maybe writing down some things. Or, um, yeah, if, if you feel that um, the Lord is really calling you to, to repent from some of these things, um, and you want to you wanna say, hey, okay, God, I, I get it. I, I need your help. I need rescuing. Um, I really want to recommend that you pray. Just pray to God about that. Uh, maybe grab someone around you and talk through that. Um, and um, talk through maybe what, what does repentance mean for you right now? What is God calling you to turn from um, and, and come into alignment with, with his ideas for you? So I'm going to pray and then we'll worship. Hmm. Lord God, thank you that you love us so much, um, that you um, say things that are hard for us to hear, (laughs) Lord, that you um, reveal the truth of our situation to us, Lord, thanks that you love us enough um, to call us out of the ways that we're living um, and, and call us into a rich rich relationship with you um, of trust and of um, obedience. Lord, would you speak to us tonight in how we can be churning from our own ways of thinking or um, trusting things around us or in our culture, in our world, um, trusting them for um, satisfaction or fulfillment, Lord. And, And would you help us to turn to you and and trust you to be our rescuer. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.